Listeners, thanks for tuning in. This episode will obviously end up being what you would call our main episode on Pastor With No Answers this week. As many of you see, Mike McCurr, uh, a.k.a. Science Mike, is a very credible resource for things along the lines of this coronavirus. I do want to let you know, though, that episode 221 that was released earlier this week is on how sure can I be God is speaking to me I have two guys that I respect a whole lot as far as their perspective on God and and communicating with God and I share also how I feel very strongly that my relationship with God feels the most normal and comforting and vibrant when I remain in that sphere of I believe with all my heart but I also can't be sure. So episode that's near and dear to my heart, but I do want to say at the beginning of the episode, we have a little satire comedy sketch, and I'm sure 99.9% of you are able to see satire and enjoy it. But for those of you that may not have been able to do that, please take note that this sketch was in no way a intended to make fun of people with mental illness. As you know, yours truly has suffered greatly throughout most of my life. This has actually been put out there to poke fun a little bit of a very fundamentalist biblical way of looking at mental illness. So poking fun of that group of people and hopefully in a humorous, comedic sort of way can help destigmatize mental illness and open people's eyes on how it's just not so simple when it comes to God healing mental illness. But without further ado, here is Science Mike speaking on this coronavirus. You guys I mean, enjoy. Is that an appropriate word to say about this episode? And enjoy it. You know what I mean. Love you all. All right. Happy to be here with. Science, Mike, the one and only. It's been a while. I was actually telling my sister-in-law last night that I was going to do this, Mike, and she literally was like, he's the one that I wanted to hear his take on all of this. So I would imagine she's probably not the only one. I know you did something on your Facebook page, but it's definitely definitely a pleasure to be able to have you on this show and, and get your take about a lot of stuff, man. How are you doing? I'm okay, you know. Um yeah. Considering this is a this is a big deal, right? Um, you know, I, I, I what I'm trying to remind people is that no one alive has faced something like this, or at least very few people alive. Yeah. Um, and so it's not unusual or strange for us to feel afraid or overwhelmed or to be unsure of what happens next, because the fact is, no one knows exactly what will happen next, what the full extent of the pandemic itself will be, and then, of course, what the impact on our local and global economies will be from right. that activity and our response. Um, yeah. So this is, a, this is definitely a time where concern is warranted, where anxiety is understandable, and it's important that we work to support each other 
and yep. to avoid uh, panic because panic, no matter what's going to happen next, panic will make it worse. You know, I look at Definitely. what's happening at grocery stores in terms of depleted food supplies and toilet paper hoarding, and none of those things are helpful or necessary and are actually only causing more harm. So that would be a perfect totally. example of the wrong way to respond. Totally, totally. So here's what I want to do, and our listeners are, are used to this routine, but I'll just go ahead and tell you. So I'll probably end up asking you some pretty dumb questions, but as a nice guy, you're just going to nod your head and, and say, oh, yeah, totally. Let me answer that. <laughs> no, but seriously, I do have uh, a handful of questions that maybe you haven't been asked yet, but I think what's tricky here, and you know, I'm, I'm glad you started off how you did as far as this being a big deal, is hard hard to wrap our minds around this. I have a listener uh, Facebook page, Pastor With No Answers discussion page and, on Facebook, and by far the answer to the question, what are your feelings about this? And we have terrified, terrified for other people, you know, calm and all that stuff. By far, the number one one is I'm a little uneasy. And I'll, you know, I'll tell you a couple of things that have me confused. For instance, I was watching the news last night and China it's reported to they're starting to get back into the flow of things. I mean, I don't know if that was the exact news uh, wording, but the, it was like they're starting to do stuff and going back outside. I'm like, what in the world is up with that? And then, the, you know, the other thing is obviously we care about the older demographic, but it just seems like people my age or younger are are totally fine so is our number one priority taking care of the older demographic but did you hear what uh i heard as far as china's concern uh yeah china is starting to try to uh reassemble their economy and economic activity um here's how this works with yeah. a pandemic uh like this one there's a lot that isn't known we don't know the exact in infection rate for COVID-19 and will not for some time. We don't know the actual case fatality rate or mortality rate, and we won't for some time because this is a brand new novel virus. Right. All we know is that COVID-19 is very infectious compared to other diseases that have its approximate mortality rate. So if you look at something like Ebola, Ebola actually kills so quickly that uh, it limits its own spread. So what Ebola will do is get into a community and just wreck that community. But it, it has relatively lower risk of becoming a global pandemic because symptoms come on so fast and so strong. Something like yeah. COVID-19 uh, acts like a cold or a flu for a lot of people, is asymptomatic for other people, especially young people, but still allows them to be contagious, and yet has remarkably high fatality rates among people, especially in their 60s, 70s, and 80s, and people with complicating health conditions. Gotcha. So, so it's not it's not really, uh, and, and none of this really minimizes the situation as a whole, I get that, but it's not necessarily extremely dangerous for a 30-year-old female who is healthy. Well, let's be clear. Compared to the flu, it is much more dangerous even for people in their teens, 20s, and 30s. Gotcha. Uh, but, I mean, much, much more times. Uh, so, like if, but it is still if, relatively if, safe for those groups. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, how, I mean, how would you feel if your wife got it? Like you find out she tested positive. Well, let's go back to China, and then I'll get to what I what I would look at uh, with yeah. my wife. So the goal here in a pandemic where we don't know a lot of specifics and cannot know a lot of specifics for some time because there are more people who have COVID nineteen right now than have had it in the past. That's the nature of a new pandemic. Yeah. The goal is simply you can't reduce the number of cases. The, there's no herd immunity to a brand new virus. Probably roughly 80% of people in countries are going to get COVID-19 at some point. That's not avoidable. What is avoidable is a high death rate along with that. And the way you avoid that is you keep your healthcare system from being overwhelmed all at once in a process we call flattening the curve. So China yeah. immediately started to shut down everything to slow that initial inflection point. You need to do that for a period of weeks or months, by the way. If you do that and you slow the spread of the disease, once you kind of hit a tipping point in the total number of people who have had the disease, you can start reactivating your economy and social interactions because now you have some herd immunity built in. You have some people who've had COVID-19 and Uh recovered. And the goal is simply to avoid the total number of cases being too high at any given moment gotcha. to cause a collapse of the healthcare system. So for us in the United States, that means right now, everything should be shutting down in every right. city and every state in the United States. And it should be that way for a period of as short as three weeks and for as long as maybe 12 or 15 weeks. Gotcha, gotcha. So it's like given this virus a big sucker punch basically that's to, right to keep things yeah you're trying to sense. you're trying to in racing terms you're trying to lower it or, or increase its lap time you know what i mean yeah. right now it's it's going around the track so fast it's winning if we can slow its lap time then the healthcare system can win the race gotcha gotcha that makes sense okay so a close friend of yours or your spouse or someone gets it you're not super alarmed are you I'm pretty alarmed if me or my wife get it. I have heart disease, right. which puts me in a high risk category. My wife has prediabetes and hypertension. Gotcha. That puts her in a pretty high risk category. For for yeah, this is what I'd like to tell people: like, ah, you know what? I'm 24. I looked it up. I've got a you know 0.4 percent chance of death from this disease. That's great. But if you get it and you spread it to people like me, and I can't get a hospital bed when I get it, right. I could have as high as a one in five chance of dying um and i have right. a very high chance of a severe presentation uh, that dramatically impacts my quality of life now and in the future and so this is a time when we so need to some... be responsible and protect each other yeah i almost see it as like an act of kindness you know i, I still work at a church and it's a rather large church and there's there's still some pastors trying to you know we're not we're not meeting <coughs> anymore on Sunday mornings, but there's pastors still trying to get people together and everything. I'm like, wait, let's, let's push the, the, the stop button on, on everything. Well, I mean, what's the point of scaling back on some things, but, but not on others. And yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Like, unless I plan on staying away from my parents who are both in their seventies, which I don't plan on staying away from them, then I certainly need to stay away from other people and places in public and, and all of that for sure. I mean, so let's, let's get to some of the science about a a virus, for instance, like 
this virus used to not exist. Am, am I right? Like this this virus this particular used to virus, uh, which was originally called 2019-NCOV, yeah. and is now called SARS-CoV-2, is a variation of a family of viruses called the coronavirus. This mutation is new. Coronaviruses are not actually often when you get the common cold, uh, you have right. a coronavirus, just not this coronavirus. Interesting. Interesting. Do, does does a virus have a good purpose to it? Oh gosh, viruses uh, are are strange things. They they are on the dividing line between living and not living. So uh, they reproduce like something living, but they don't have say metabolism. They don't eat. They're yeah. literally just little pieces of genetic machinery um viruses play a part in the ongoing story of life certainly for good and for bad uh some of our genes come from viruses so we can get infected with viruses and then keep code that they give us and evolutionary biologists believe that this actually plays a significant role in the process of trait selection and mutation you say well how could evolution create things uh, as complex as we see, it looks like viruses might be part of that by picking up little pieces of DNA from one animal and handing it to another. And most of the time when that happens, it makes us sick. But sometimes when we get uh, DNA from a virus, it actually gives us a new genetic capability that we did not have before that over new generations becomes something important and impressive. So they play a major role in natural selection and gene mutation, yeah. uh, but they certainly play that role uh, at a significant cost to host organisms. Gotcha, gotcha. So this specific virus, like what happened as far as its discovery? Someone got sick, they went to the doctor, they took a swab, they put it under a microscope and like, whoa, we haven't seen this before. <laughs> I'm, prob- I'm pretty sure that's not how it worked, but how did this one get discovered? Like when did this one break break the news and science yeah that's how, how our healthcare system works when suddenly people get sick and they have what looks like a, a symptom presentation that's similar to other disorders you don't notice the first few cases but when you say like gosh we seem to be having a flu outbreak but it's killing a lot of people yeah like it's and it's and it's it's got these symptoms but not these symptoms it's like the flu but not like the flu and their mortality rates a lot higher that data encourages healthcare workers to start digging deeper. What's going on? We start looking for a set of symptom criteria and looking for people that we basically do tissue samples and blood samples, and we start looking for something unique. And in that process, yes, through very, very hard work in biology and medical science, we discover completely new uh, diseases like uh, COVID-19. With COVID-19 is the disease, the virus is SARS-CoV-2. Um, and yeah. that's a, a, you know, there are new viruses all the time. Um, viruses, uh, we've created a unique pattern here by urbanizing people and having agriculture. So viruses have a, a more profound ability to jump between species ever since we industrialized agricultural societies uh, than they've ever had in the history of the planet. And so that's why we're seeing more and different novel diseases. And frankly, why uh, scientists and healthcare workers viewed something like COVID-19 as inevitable. We're, we're, we're creating new viruses all the time. Most of them are benign or uh, aren't well-tuned to propagate. They're either 
you know, they're generally too lethal, right? So what we've seen with right. previous potential pandemics is they're just too deadly to be contagious enough. But we've known that eventually, statistically, something like COVID-19 would come along that combined the infection rate of something like the common cold or influenza with a much higher death rate. Yeah, and I was going to ask that too, like, what are the chances that something like this happens except when you get it, it's 85% fatal? Like, is that is that something that's, I mean, nobody wants to think about that, and I'm probably the only asshole talking about something like that because it's interesting, but is that something that's possible? I, I suppose it's possible. It's very unlikely. So if you're a virus, yeah. um, success looks like getting passed along. And from that manner, probably, you know, herpes simplex type A is probably one of the most successful viruses in human history. All it does is create little annoying cold sores that, that shed virus. Gotcha. Um, and that's a perfect strategy for a virus that you can get to such high infection rates in a population that way. If you're a disease, high mortality rates work against you, uh, as do severe symptom presentations, wow. because... Yeah. You start killing your host or making your host behave so strangely that other potential hosts don't want to be near them. The frightening thing is something like COVID-19 that sits there. You can have COVID-19, we're not sure, for a day, maybe as long as two weeks with no symptoms, but be shedding the virus. You attach right. something like that to an 85% mortality rate, and that, that becomes very frightening. But again, it's also not um, that... That's, it's quite unlikely. High mortality rates right. work against viruses' favor. Uh, you know, if you look at something like Ebola, that's a great case of why. Yeah. So when you think, do, or, or I, you but know, hold on, I let me say one other thing. Yeah. We're, the mortality rate of COVID nineteen, whatever it ends up being, if it's a half percent or five percent, you know, um, somewhere probably around two percent is most likely. Those are terrifying numbers. To put that in perspective. Sure. Right now, the official estimates from the CDC in America are between 200,000 and 1.7 million deaths in the United States alone from COVID-19. That is a major and significant pandemic. Good gosh. Is that is that worst case scenario? Um, the 1.7 is, frankly, yeah. the way that we're seeing. Right now, the public is doing everything wrong. We're asking people to social distance, and they aren't. We're asking people not to hoard resources, and they are. The public is doing wow. the opposite of what it should do. And frankly, at the federal level and, and in, at the state level in conservative states, the response in these initial and most important days has been disastrous. Right now, we are certainly on track for that 200,000 death toll in the United States yeah. or higher. And so you would say then, if I'm hearing you correctly, what the media has been doing thus far is pretty responsible. Like a lot of times, obviously, we see the media is hyping up things maybe they shouldn't, but the seriousness that they're given to this seems pretty credible. And um, But a question that I have specifically about that, though, is they keep talking about Italy and the, and the fatalities in Italy. Wouldn't it be maybe a little more honest or informative to to also say that the majority of those deaths are elderly like do you think that's relevant information or doesn't really matter no that's certainly relevant information uh italy has an 
old population, unless I'm mistaken, one of the oldest in Europe that's going to play a role in their fatality rate. But let's be real. The baby boomer generation in the United States is a huge generation. We're, yeah. We have a lot of young people, but we have a lot of old people, too. Um, I'm a person who believes the media is actually prone to hysterics. I am cautious and reticent in how I ga- engage with media narratives for that reason. Uh, but the kind of sober-minded, rigorous folks that are our uh, healthcare workers and scientific leaders, they are not alarmist. And the most responsible and educated people we know are saying this is a cause for significant concern. There's potentially a very high total number of fatalities with this disease. And so uh, in one case, this is a case where I think the media is doing a pretty good job. Again, we want to do everything we can to discourage panic. Panic will not help. Everyone taking responsible actions individually and collectively will mitigate the impact of this disease. That means good hygiene and hand washing. That means social distancing. And that actually means not putting strain on our distribution systems through panic buying and hoarding that's exacerbating the problem. Yeah. So would you say, Mike, that right now, I mean, would you go so far as to say stay home unless you have to get something, stay home unless you have to get groceries, stay away from other people unless you have to? Is is that... I mean, why not? If that's if the safest thing to keep it from spreading is to stop being around people, is that ideal for people to just stay at home? It is. I would say at this point, the best course of action one could take is to stay home as much as you can. Now, I want to be clear that I don't mean you're quarantining yourselves indoors. Uh, I have a backyard. I'm spending a lot of time there. If you live in a suburban or rural area, by all means, take a walk outside. But immediately, handshakes are done. Mm, hugs are done and if possible keep a nice six foot bubble around you at all times we understand this virus can float in the air in droplets of saliva for up to three hours so um there's a real risk right now at being around other people if you have older folks in your life who you love the best thing you can do is facetime them and skype them and avoid being physically present for those who have uh, you know, needs around food delivery and assisted living, your hygiene and maintenance of yourself becomes essential uh, if you're going to be in contact with people who are at, ask, at risk groups. But right now is the time we should all be spending as much time as possible at home. If you have to go to work, go to work by all means. Regularly sanitize the surfaces in and around your working area and avoid direct contact with other people. We have got to slow the rate of spread of this disease, and we've got to do it right now. These are the most important days. Yeah. Now, I want to ask you a question about washing hands here in a second, but I got a, a, a daddy question, and I know a lot of our listeners are parents. So my kids, all everybody's home from school. School's shut down in Charleston, South Carolina. Neighborhood kids comes comes by, and they want to play basketball in the backyard. Or my daughter says, hey, can so-and-so come and, and spend the night? Like, are these – you might as well just say no to all of that stuff because it's – that's not social distancing. We have to be really careful here. 
Um, isolation is really bad for mental health. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. So your biggest gr- risks come in assembling in groups of 50 or more and perhaps even 25 or more. Gotcha. Limited social contact is still okay, but still will be a vector of disease. So if you want to do everything you can to gate the spread of COVID-19 right now, that means you and your family members are the one who see each other and have physical contact. Yeah. But yeah. you're not betraying public health by having a friend over or your child playing with a couple of other children. But you also have to understand that does increase your personal risk for exposure. Sure. And these are decisions every person needs to be making for themselves with a clear and sober mind. I wouldn't make that decision for someone else. But for those of you who think this is some kind of liberal conspiracy and you're still going to houses of worship or you're still going to bars and pubs and clubs at night, you are doing a tremendous disservice to your health and to the public. Stop it immediately. History will judge you poorly and you are putting your loved ones at a significant risk of death. Stop it and stop it now. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that for sure. So washing hands is what trips me up a little bit. Like I get it and I I don't doubt the experts. I don't doubt what you, what you said. But what I don't understand is so uh, let's say I get up from this conversation and I'm like I haven't washed my hands in a bit, so let me wash my hands. Right when I go back to life or if I go outside of the house or it's like Am I not constantly having the potential of of getting germs on my hands? It's almost like aren't isn't it isn't it everywhere? So I, I guess practically, when we wash our hands, let's just say we do we do have the virus on our hands and we wash our hands. Isn't there a significant chance of us just getting it right back on our hands? <laughs> I know that sounds silly, but it just seems like kind of an overwhelming concept of this thing being around if it's around it's around if it's airborne it's airborne yeah so it's a statistics game yeah the less virus you have on your hand the less chance you have to be infected so you can imagine um you know i live in la and if i were to leave a a sheet of paper outside this would be true anywhere in the country by the way Uh, let's say you leave a sheet of paper outside uh with a, a paperweight on it underneath um, a roof but not walls, something like a carport. If you just leave that sheet of paper there, the longer you leave it, the more pollen and dust will accumulate on it, right? But if you pick that piece of paper up and you shake it, that clears off most of the dust and the pollen. You can set it back down. So the longer you go without washing your hands, the more germs, the more virus, the more foreign material there is on them. So washing your hands is that act of shaking the sheet of paper and getting contaminants off of it. Gotcha. Gotcha. I appreciate this, man. I got two more subject areas to get in here. One is so when someone when someone does die of this, obviously, most of us are aware that it's mostly elderly and or people with already existing physical um, limitations, sicknesses, and all that sort of thing. What are people dying of? Is it lungs not bringing in enough air? Because I know one of the symptoms is shortness of breath. But when people are dying from this thing, like what is biologically happening to their body that makes it close up shot? Typically pneumonia. 
Uh, and then the pneumonia often invites secondary infections. Um, and, or you just get severe acute enough of pneumonia from COVID-19 itself that, uh, that your, your path of mortality is, is pneumonia. And that, you know, there, if you want to talk about specific mechanics, there's a lot of ways that things like pneumonia can kill you. Um, yeah. And again, all this data is really new. Yeah. Uh, but we know that it, it effectively becomes enough of an irritant to the respiratory system to lead to lethality in ways that are typically cardiovascular or pulmonary in origin. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so when someone does get this, so let's say my, my child is, is having some symptoms and he gets tested, he has it. Our, our number one goal, especially if he's a, a healthy young man is to keep him away from other people. But when it comes to protecting his own life, it's just basically the, the, normal stuff that you would do if someone had the flu like lots of fluids lots of rest yeah parents of, of young children um can breathe a deep sigh of relief yeah uh children 19 and below uh children 10 and below so far have a statistically zero chance of dying from COVID 19 wow and teens wow, have wow, a wow. very 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 low chance of death so uh, the most important thing is if you suspect that you or anyone you know have COVID-19, you need to contact a healthcare provider immediately. I will not offer care tips because they could be out of date by the time you hear this recording. You want to contact your doctor's office, and one thing you can do right now is you can look and see what telemedicine options are available from your insurance provider. Telemedicine yeah. is a great option now. You can schedule a video chat with a doctor and go over symptoms and get individualized care advice from a medical professional who's going to have been briefed on uh, COVID-19 in particular. But like I say, take a deep breath, parents. Uh, your young children, so far, we just aren't seeing uh, a mortality rate for children with COVID-19. It is definitely yeah. something that affects older people and people with complicating health factors. Now, the exception would be children who have uh, an autoimmune disorder or are immunosuppressed or immunocompromised in some way. In those cases, you want to contact your medical provider at the first sign of distress. Gotcha, gotcha. Man, this is exactly what I wanted this episode to be, is a resource to people. I appreciate it. So the last thing I wanted to ask you is, let us peek inside behind the scenes in the science community. Like what's going on right now? How many people are looking or trying to figure out a vaccine? Is it competitive? Like, are there people that are wanting to, obviously I, I hope most people are wanting to do it for the, the common good of humanity, but is it, is it like a, a race out there? Is there thousands of scientists working on it? Millions of science are, are universities all focusing on this? Like what's it look like in the science community? Yeah, uh, there's a mix of government and private interests all working on a vaccine right now. Um, where experts tell us we're at least a year from any kind of vaccine, yeah. at least yeah. a year. Gotcha. And so when we when we have a vaccine, will this be something? And I know there's some anti-vacciners out there, but will this be something that? all kids get in their routine shots from this point on in humanity? Is that how it works? Well, um, this is a coronavirus. That's the bad news. Coronaviruses yeah. are clever. 
They mutate often and readily. Uh, variations of COVID-19 are likely to become part of our seasonal disease cycle. And once we have a vaccine, you'll like the flu shot, they'll probably have to update it every year. The good uh-huh. news is as SARS-CoV-2 mutates next year, whatever it mutates into, we will have some herd immunity against. This is how life works. Right now, we're paying basically our tax to exist in Earth ecosystem. And right now, COVID-19 has the upper hand. But next year, whatever version of COVID-19 comes back, it's going to face a human population for whom it is no longer novel, which means its infection rate will be lower and likely its mortality rate will be lower as well. Our bodies are designed to, on their own, deal with and adapt with diseases like this on a population level. So while individuals may die, in the process, the population develops an immunity uh, and uh, COVID-19 will not be some permanent oppressor of our species. The miracle of our body systems is well-equipped to handle this challenge. Nice, nice. So when a vaccine is found, does everybody just need to schedule a doctor's appointment? Will there, I would assume there'd be gigantic community gatherings where it'll be done systematically. They'll start is, with is at-risk that... groups first because supplies yeah. will be limited likely and then move into the rest of the population. The same way we do with the flu vaccine right now. If yeah. the flu vaccine gets constrained, we go with high-risk groups first and then expand out from there. But I would say, like the flu shot, if there ends up being a COVID shot, you should take it whenever it's available to you. It's good for you, and it's good for people. You know, I have so many friends who are immunocompromised and people who are anti-vax and get disease. It doesn't hurt them, but it kills people who are immunocompromised who would otherwise rely on herd immunity. If you're anti-vax, what you've got to know is your decision is definitely and materially increasing the risk of death for example for children with leukemia and i personally can't have that on my conscience and that's why i take vaccines every time i can absolutely awesome awesome mike thanks so much i do want to end the show by saying congrats for this upcoming april 28th release and i thought man you're pretty badass when you have richard Rohr hyping up your book but (laughs) you're a miracle and a pain in the ass i you got to be you got to be looking forward to this releasing huh i'm really excited i was sad you know i had a great book tour plan that we're gonna have to take virtual um but i'm still excited about the book and i think right now especially with this wave of fear and anxiety and i think we're gonna deal with some pretty significant public depression I feel like this book is well-timed to be useful and helpful to people as they struggle to understand their own thoughts, feelings, and actions, not just in life, but in response to this particular pandemic. Dude, I appreciate that so much, man. That was, uh, that was awesome, and our listeners are going to love it. And hopefully, we can get it circulated pretty well because it's uh, super helpful stuff. So, appreciate you reaching out to me. Um I want to get the word out as far and wide as possible uh, to... Uh get people to change their behaviors i mean we are we're, I, I was talking about this those of us that have platforms we have a real opportunity here to uh contribute to the preservation of a million lives or more in our country alone if we can influence people to behave in more responsible ways yep 
It's a pleasure, man. I appreciate it so much. You're a helpful person for many, many people. So thank you so much. Thank you, Joey. It's good to talk with you as always.